Hello, and here we go again for another edition of the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to over there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate, light rail lover, bus riding, high-flying, other than that, just another guy in Joseph Peters. That's a long title. High-flying? Sometimes. 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 Doesn't seem like it now. Looks like you're tired. Tired, yes. Yes. Well, today we're going to be speaking trucking uh, in just a little bit. Andrea Marks will be along, and Andrea is the Director of Communications for Trucker Nation. She describes it as a grassroots social media-based advocacy group. And this stems from a Driving You Crazy article. Not only is this show called Driving You Crazy, but it it stems, the name of this show, uh, from a series of uh, articles that I write called Driving You Crazy. And it's where people, like you people, that are listening to this fine program right now, uh, send me emails, or you can call our comment line at 303-832-0217, and you leave me a message and says, hey, this is going on, or that is going on, and I want you to look at it and and help me out. That's basically what it is. It it was the original Call 7 helpline for traffic-related issues before we really ramped up the Call 7 helpline. So I wrote a story for Driving You Crazy, uh, and it was a couple of people that asked different questions, but in the similar uh, vein. One of the questions was if Colorado, the state, is looking at banning trucks from operating during the day, making them drive only at night so their rush hour would be better. Another person asked if trucks should be required to only drive in the right lane in Colorado, and that way you're not seeing trucks in other lanes, i.e. slowing down the commute for everybody else. The state is not looking at either option, by the way. But what happens whenever I write a story about, especially about trucking, is that people only see the headline, or they only see a couple of comments from other people who only saw the headline, and then they send me hate mail. And I've received quite a bit of hate mail about this. Uh, I don't hate trucks or truckers, the people that drive them. I, I have actually great respect for these people that do this job, that sit solitary in their truck, and, and, and some, you know, driving, whether it's over the road or, you know, local delivery. I never said anything bad about them in the article, but I still get the hate mail. I still get it. Someone just today said I should move to Germany. This will be a good opportunity to talk trucking again, though. And that's because this one person said that trucking in Germany, that the laws there, especially in the summertime, are uh, restrict truck traffic to allow for the summer vacationers in Germany uh, to get where they're going to and from without having to deal with trucks. Well, and when you apply it to Colorado, it makes a lot of sense. You restrict traffic to the mountains because we know a lot of people want to go to the mountains. Yep. And it works out for the benefit of the majority of drivers on the road at the detriment of the trucking industry. So on that level, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's a way to efficiently use our roads. The problem is now you're making truck drivers' lives a lot more difficult. And there are a lot of truck drivers out there, and they have a lot of time to read Facebook. Yes, they do. And they also have a lot of deliveries to make. I-70 is the major uh, lifeline between Denver, where most stuff is made or shipped to. It's a major hub, obviously. We have a huge uh, refinery here uh, creating gasoline. Uh, And all of that then has to get over to the western slope. So western Colorado, Utah. I mean, there's there's really a lot of uh, people who live west of Denver, and I-70 is their lifeline. And if they slowed down the trucks, even on two days a week, 
we're going to see shortages of stuff over there, and they're not going to be happy about it. Which is why the state, again, not seriously or at all considering either of these plans. But this is going to be a good opportunity to talk trucking again, get uh, the perspective of the trucking industry, uh, what's happening in the industry. All that will be coming up in just a bit. But we all know those super spoiled kids. Were you a spoiled kid? Yes. Of course you were. Yes. Uh, many times they say they stay spoiled as they get older. Some kids more so than others. But, th- but then there's another level of spoiled, like a Kardashian level of, of spoiledness. There's a 22-year-old son of a very wealthy man in China, and he said his father had promised to buy him a nice car for as a reward for getting his driver's license. Uh, you know, I, I think most kids in the United States, if they turn 16, you know, hey, Dad, can you get me a car? Usually they're not going to give you something nice. They'll give you something used. Correct. Yep. Something high mileage, low cost, right? However... This kid, who's 22 and just got his license, uh, he, he waited long enough, apparently, for his dad to deliver on the promise. So he visited his local BMW dealership. And at the dealership, the son found a car he wanted. And so he wanted it so bad, and he was going to make his dad pay for it. So he swiped the rear door of the brand new car with a key, leaving behind a very long scratch mark. He then told the staff that he planned to buy the car. And then when police showed up, he explained to them he was forcing his father's hand to buy him the car by keying that BMW. Yeah. That's the worst story I've ever heard. That's the worst thing I've ever heard, Jason. Uh, this, but this, this happens in the very rich Chinese society. Did you not see rich uh, Chinese or rich Asian? Uh, Crazy Rich Asian. There you go. That was the movie. No, I did not see that. My wife sa- saw it. She said it was great. Uh, it's not known though if the dad did end up buying the car, but probably did. Did he also kill his son? It, <laughs> I don't know about that. Our favorite airline to hate, Spirit Airlines. They're getting a little bit better. I doubt that. Spirit unveiled its first plane outfitted with the airline's new seats, bigger tray tables, and new cabin colors. Yay! Way to go, Spirit! When you start with the worst possible, all you can do is get better. Now, they say their upgrades are part of their quote-unquote, invest in the guest program. (laughs) In other words, we're going to try to provide our customers with an experience they've expected from the start, but we're just now providing. (laughs) Terrible. Awful. Seriously. Uh, Other new features, Spirit says, are on the way. Wi-Fi, like uh, most everybody else has, and self-bag check. Self-bag check. I'm sure they will still be instituting the 40-pound bag limit, though. They will also still be charging you $4 for a can of soda. All are designed to attract repeat customers and first-timers put off by the budget airline's bad experiences, especially people like me who had a bad experience the first time they flew on Spirit Airlines. And it doesn't make me ever want to fly on Spirit Airlines again. Uh, Spirit says the new composite seats are padded with ultra-light foam and come with extra pre-recline. You can't recline your seats automatically at a Spirit Airline, but now they're going to come pre-reclined. Great. But what if I don't like the pre-recline? 
What if I want it more straight up like it has been in the past, in more of that uncomfortable straight up position? Spirit Airlines says their new ergonomically designed seats offer an extra two inches of usable leg room. Usable leg room. Well, I was actually hoping for some unusable leg room, so I am disappointed by this. Well, they were very thin, the seats were, and had plenty of unusable leg room in the past. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that. The tray tables are also now going to be full size instead of those miniature little things that are about the size of your phone. (laughs) The airline's first class seats, called Big Front Seats, that's novel, are also getting a reboot including additional memory foam in the seat cushion and the headrest. Because there's nothing more clean on an airplane than the headrest. The new features, which were announced in September, were installed on the new Airbus A320s and will eventually be featured on new and existing Spirit airplanes, with the older planes being retrofitted as they go in for maintenance, which I hear is often. You know, remember we had uh, the the seat guy on the show, oh, well, maybe it was a year ago. Remember the seat guy? Yes. Yeah. And he was talking about, he was working with an airline about improving their seats. I think this might have been it. I think our seat guy, who's out in, in uh, West Denver, might have been uh, previewing right there on our show the uh, these new seats on Spirit Airlines. Interesting. Was he? He was also the one who said the middle seat needed to be back a couple of inches right. to provide more leg room for everybody. Do we know that this is what Spirit has done? No. Okay. Uh, what? What was his name? I can't. I can't remember the name of the company. It was an odd name company. Seat guy. He's the seat. Yeah, guy. he is the seat guy. For some reason, that Brogan Bam Brogan name just popped in my head <laughs> from a rivo. Well, that guy. Uh, too bad we can't get him on the air. Uh, I've been accused of uh, not liking the environment in the past, dear Joseph, because I don't like getting on buses. Or the environment, for that matter. I do like the environment. I don't know about that. I do like being in the environment, uh, but I don't like getting on buses. I, 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 it's, it's, I know quite the leap, but it's true. I don't like getting on buses. Uh, I, I don't usually like riding on a bus. Normally, I won't do it unless I'm forced to do it. If I'm at a amusement park and you have to get on the bus to go somewhere. That's a shuttle, man. That's not a real bus. Oh, it's their buses. It doesn't mean there's there, there's no place for buses in our society. I mean, as long as people want to go somewhere in a group, fine, get on the bus. That's fine. Get on the bus. If you want to have your children go from your neighborhood to the school, fine, get on the bus. That's a great use for a bus, isn't it? Many people who, who, who though, get after me for not wanting to ride on a bus think that I'm clogging our roads with, with my car and I'm wrecking the planet with my emissions. We, we, we're going to have to agree to disagree. And, and I'm saying all of this because this next story is another example of why I, I don't really want to particularly be on a bus, especially for a long trip. We have several ski areas west of Denver, as, as you've probably heard. You've probably heard of Breckenridge or Aspen or Vail. Well, we also have local ski areas like Arapahoe Basin and Loveland and Eldora, which are fine ski areas, lovely ski areas. And I actually prefer Loveland uh, because it's close and it's uh, got a it's a great mountain, plenty of snow. People say it's cold, but I, I disagree. And it's a lot less expensive than paying two hundred dollars with the walk up at Vail, which is stunning, by the way. Yes. 
So anyway, the Department of Transportation here in Colorado has a bus service called Snowstang, where they'll take you to one of our area ski resorts for the day for, for you know, to do your sliding and riding, as they like to say. It's great for people who might live in downtown Denver who don't maybe own a car, don't want to drive. Fine for them, not fine for me. The inaugural excursion, though, of the Snowstang service to the Arapahoe Basin ski area gave the bus full of skiers and snowboarders a far more eventful trip than they had ever anticipated, though. Due to heavy snowfall that we had over the uh, you know last week or so and some very hazardous driving conditions, the bus got stuck on Highway 6 there at the Loveland ski area. Highway 6 goes over Loveland Pass, which had been closed since Friday morning, and this bus was on Saturday. Yes, but the snowstang driver was still surprised to find the gate down. Yes, it was closed. He had to make a UE. He could not make a UE, and thus, problems. The closure gate is right there past the parking lot of the Loveland Ski Area, and, and, and he was attempting to, the, the, to do that five-point turn. <laughs> On a bus, it's what, like 21 points? Yeah. And behind the bus would have is, is this ravine that goes straight down that you don't want to... And, and then in front was, was piles of snow and a mountain. So he, he basically was stuck there. And they had to bring in a front loader from Loveland to get the bus unstuck and move it. Well, anyway, the driver put on some chains, set course for A Basin via Silverthorne, the bus arrived at A Basin nearly two and a half hours past its scheduled arrival time of 8.30. So at 10 o'clock, you're finally on the slopes. The mishap at the Loveland Pass closure was only one reason for the delay in arrival. Traffic on I-70 was stopping to go much of the way from Morrison all the way up to Idaho Springs, as typical for a Saturday morning during ski season, especially on a powder day. An hour into the journey, Snowstang still wasn't past Floyd Hill, and the bus didn't reach Idaho Springs until an hour and a half after leaving downtown Denver. CDOT issued a statement regarding the incident during the A-Basin Snowstang run. Our contracted operator disclosed that the bus driver who departed Union Station was a last-minute replacement for the originally scheduled driver, and the new driver had not participated in the CDOT-led preparations and was not fully aware of the required routing through Dillon when adverse conditions closed Loveland Pass. That driver was replaced for the return trip to Denver Imagine that conversation. Uh, for future trips, additional training and retaining will be conducted with all drivers, including those who could be scheduled to operate Snowstang. Ace Express, the bus service that is being contracted by CDOT, gave all those riders full refunds for their round-trip fare, which is $25, along with gift cards worth $25 at A Basin. So here you go. Go get a hamburger and some fries, because that basically is $25 at A Basin. Correct. In addition, CDOT said it would issue riders $15 vouchers for future trips. Now, the situation en route to A Basin wasn't the only delay that those riders experienced on that bus. The snow continued to fall throughout the day, making the uh, skiing excellent. But it came with cold temperatures and near whiteout conditions on the upper part of the mountain. So Snowstang departed A Basin just before 420 making its way slowly down U.S. 6 towards Silverthorne. But before it got there, riders learned that I-70 was closed all the way up to the Eisenhower Tunnel because of a crash. The bus pulled into a shopping center there in Dillon, right near I-70, and it remained there for nearly two hours. Uh, uh. (laughs) 
finally resuming its journey just past 7, arriving at the downtown station at 9.15, nearly three and a half hours past its scheduled arrival at 5.40. So these people got on the bus early in the morning at 7 o'clock. They didn't get off the bus for 14 hours at 9.15. I get it. Not every ride is going to be like that. See, you say this is a bus problem. I think this is a skiing problem. How is it a skiing problem? Think about, I mean, the number of people who have to go to the mountains, the number of people who are coming back from the mountains. It's a perfect powder day. It's terrible conditions. Think Uh of the number of skiers who are out there on bald tires. Oh, yeah. That is a huge problem. So, I I mean, you were going to get stuck in traffic either way. It's Murphy's Law that dictated that the first run to A-Basin by the Snowstang was going to have major problems. Our friend Andy Bosselman was on that bus. Uh, see, uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he was. He, he actually uh, has a whole uh, blog about the whole thing and his experience on that bus. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, but as I remember, as I recall, Andy doesn't even have, I don't think he has a car, and so he lives right downtown, right there at Union Station. And uh, off he went. I don't know if he has his own skis or he was going to rent them when he got up there. Um, but such is life, right? Such is life. It was just a day of, of an experience for Andy and, and, the, and the gang on the bus. An experience is what we'll go with. It sounds like hell. Yeah. But it's in times of peril like that that when I get crazed and frustrated, and I have a hard time keeping silent in that type of environment, I would have been at least encouraging the bus driver to not go on Loveland Pass because it was closed. Now, I'm, I'm hypersensitive to these sort of things because this is what I do for a living. So I would know that Loveland Pass. I'm like, where are you going? We can't go that way. Turn around. Put more pressure on the bus driver. Right. Making his life more difficult. He should have known about Loveland Pass, seriously. Obviously, he can't do anything about a closed I-70. No, but he can look at his damn GPS. I think it comes down to just feeling trapped. I don't want to. I, I don't like that feeling of being trapped, being in a parking lot on a bus for two hours waiting for the highway to open when I could just then say, all right, I'm going to bag this and I'm going to stay overnight somewhere or just have a real long dinner and, and, and have a, have a couple of whatevers and off we go. <laughs> and then get back to driving as opposed to jumping on the bus. A couple of Pepsi lights. There you go. I don't know. That's just how I feel on a bus. I'm I respect sorry. that now. I, I mean, look, man, it's more comfortable to be in traffic. In your own car. Exactly. It is. It just and, and yes, if everybody was on the bus, maybe traffic would have flowed better. Sure. Yes. But then everybody's on a bus. <sighs> All right. From buses to trucks. The other day, I wrote an article based on two letters from two different viewers. Paula from Denver asked, are Colorado authorities looking at encouraging truckers to drive at night to ease excessive traffic during daylight hours, especially rush hours? And then another viewer, Bob, wrote to me to say he thinks keeping trucks out of the left lane and forcing them to stay only in the right lane, except when passing, is a way to improve traffic flow. He suggested this ban wouldn't need to be 24-7, but could instead be just during the busiest times of the weekday. Now, those were the two questions I answered in a driving you crazy story that you can read right now on the DenverChannel.com. And uh, boy, oh boy, did it create a bit of a stir in the trucking community. I received many comments and some hate mail claiming that I hate truckers and even one that suggested that I should go hungry 
because he doesn't want to deliver food to Colorado anymore. We'll talk about some of those, and I'll bring some of those up in just a little bit. I also received an email from Andrea Marks. Uh, she's the Director of Communications for Trucker Nation, described by Andrea as a grassroots social media-based advocacy group. And Andrea told me that she would be interested in chatting about this topic, and I agreed. So that is why she is now joining us here on the show. Andrea, welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it so much. So before we get into some of the other issues in the trucking industry, like parking and driver retention and, and what it's like out there on the roads, as well as some of the comments that I received, let's talk about the ideas that these viewers brought up to me. Let's first talk about the idea of having trucks only run at night or outside peak travel times. What's your feeling on all that? Oh, wow. Do I have feelings? <laughs> well, um, it's, it, that's, it's an interesting concept, and we understand in the trucking community how trucks are um, one part of the traffic congestion issues that we see. Uh, but truck drivers are also service providers, and we have customers just like everyone else. And when a trucking company or a truck driver has a customer that needs a product by a certain time, the customer... Uh, is not concerned with the traffic in Denver or the traffic in Atlanta or the traffic anywhere else. They want their product. So ensuring that we maintain good relationships with our customers, get the product where it needs to go so we can be effective members of our local communities and Colorado economy, we have to be able to Again, get the product where it needs to go, whether that means driving during peak rush hour uh, times, which I know most truck drivers do like to avoid, but sometimes it's unavoidable. Obviously, as you just said, we can't have just trucks only driving at night. Do you think that, though, if there were more trucks allowed to drive at night, maybe changing their driver's uh, service times, that it might be beneficial for the trucking industry because they would be running on more wide open freeways, saving time and money and fuel and maintenance. Yes, absolutely. I know uh, for myself, um, my husband and I own a small trucking company in northern Colorado, and then I manage my dad and brother's trucking company, not based in Colorado. But uh, at the end of the day, our, our drivers prefer to drive at night for those very issues, more wide open highways, less traffic congestion, and things like that. So if there was a way for, uh, for customers and trucking companies to work together to say, hey, I don't need the product at, at 4.30 in the afternoon, I could have it at 2 a.m. Um, and, and really engaging in those collaborative conversations, it would really help ease up on things like traffic congestion and even accidents. And um, it's, it, it's something to say for the relationship building that has to occur between trucking companies, truck drivers, and their customers to allow for these types of things to happen. Uh, most commerce happens from sunup to sundown, which then therefore requires drivers to be on the road at times when there are other folks on the road. But this really doesn't touch on the root cause of a lot of issues or maybe one of the biggest issues that we have in the trucking industry – 
and that's safety. And at the end of the day, not only do truck drivers have a responsibility as it relates to safety on the road, but the members of the general motoring public driving around these 80,000 pound vehicles also have a responsibility and safety. So if we could all start having more educated safety conversations about driving around trucks um, or even um, encouraging better training regulations and standards for truck drivers, I think that's really the root cause of a lot of what we're what we're um, experiencing in the trucking industry right now. Well, and truck drivers have to deal with people who are frustrated on the roadways, just in general. It doesn't matter if there's a truck there or not. We could have just all passenger cars, and they're still going to drive well, the way they want to drive, where they're not going to yeah. let people merge, and they're going to be speeding, and they're going to be cutting people off. And when you yeah. mix in those behaviors with a truck, then that safety issue that you mentioned, it's really compounded because a truck doesn't maneuver like a car. That's 100%. At the end of the day, truck drivers are just people in a vehicle. The vehicle tends to be uh, quite a bit bigger, quite a bit heavier, and not able to maneuver like a small, you know, four-door passenger car. But yes, at the end of the day, truck drivers are just people and experience those same kinds of frustrations, um, but are limited in their abilities to break potentially as fast as another vehicle to uh, see things. Trucks have large blind spots. Um, they say that it takes an average of two and a half football fields for a truck a truck to stop uh, when traveling, you know, at a, a general speed of anywhere between 55 to 65 miles an hour. So those things have to be considered not only by the truck driver, but by the other motorists on the road. Now, before I bring up that other viewer idea, you were talking a bit about the uh, service hours of these drivers and the times that they can be on the road. Will you explain some of the issues with that as it relates to trying to get more drivers maybe to drive at night? Yeah, so truck drivers are limited to being on duty 14 hours a day. And of those 14 hours, a driver can only physically drive 11 hours every day. So it's not like truck drivers are out there driving 24 hours a day. They have a, a, a limited number of hours that they can drive. And that's for both safety of the driver, safety of the cargo, which sometimes can be living, breathing animals. Um, that's what our, our company hauls is livestock, uh, but also uh, for the safety of of the general motoring public are, are those are those hours split let's say it is midnight is when it restarts so if somebody was driving from 10 to midnight that's two hours from one day and then continuing hours for the next day no, so the hours start whenever the driver starts, and it's a continuous clock that cannot be stopped. So if you start at 2 in the morning, that's the beginning of your day. If you start at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, that's the beginning of your day. So your day is dictated by when you start your day. And that clock, um, the inflexibility in that clock from being allowed to be paused, so it starts as soon as, soon as the truck starts, um, and not having the ability to say, okay, I'm going to pull over because I'm... Uh, you know, I can't get on the toll road or traffic at 270 in Denver is really backed up. Those drivers uh, are encouraged by the inflexibility and hours of service to stay on the road because if they get off the road, their clock can't be stopped. Fortunately, there have been um, organizations like our organization, Trucker Nation, who have petitioned the federal regulators and said, hey, this inflexibility does not work for the trucking industry. It has exacerbated parking issues, hour issues, um, even driver retention issues. So we said, let's look at these regulations. 
Uh, luckily, our petition was one that was accepted uh, to the federal regulators and has been an input to changing those federal regulations. And what we have suggested is a driver be able to pause their clock. So rather than hitting the start button, in some cases an actual button on an electronic logging device, uh, starting that button at the beginning of the day and running until it it runs out, you know, having kind of an expiration time at the end of every day, really giving the professional driver the opportunity to say, okay, there's traffic, I'm, I'm going to pull over and take a nap, or I'm not feeling well, I'm going to pull over and, you know, see a doctor, or I, um, you know, am experiencing some brake issues, so I'm going to pull over and have that fixed and not be penalized by that continuous running clock. So we have seen some movement in the federal regulations, which really would empower the driver to uh, to be able to take those pauses when necessary, which hopefully would alleviate on things like parking issues and uh, traffic congestion issues. I'm speaking with Andrea Marks, the communications director for Trucker Nation. And I think also, Andrea, that the, being able to stop and start that clock would allow drivers maybe to live a more healthy lifestyle and get out of their truck and maybe take a half an hour walk around, uh, you know, some kind of a nice park area if they can or, or anywhere if they can to get out and actually get the blood flowing, get, uh, get a little bit of exercise. You always feel more energized after that. Absolutely. Uh, the the lifestyle of a truck driver is uh, just by design and nature, not the healthiest out there, but they are the ones out there moving the economy, ensuring that everybody gets all the goods and services that they need. So if drivers were, uh, were encouraged and able to have a more flexible hours that they could work within those 14 and 11 hours that they work daily, um, it would then further... Uh, provide them the opportunity to have a more healthy lifestyle. And that's certainly something that us at Trucker Nation would want to encourage. So let's look at that other idea another viewer brought up to me, limiting trucks to just the right lane during peak travel time. Several states already regulate that, including Missouri, which I think has the most rush hour specific law, saying that trucks may not use the left-hand lane on interstate highways, freeways, or expressways within urbanized areas of the state having three or more lanes. Wow. So that's a lot. <laughs> and I know that these uh, left lane laws have been, um, they've been implemented with a little bit of some confusion and maybe not so successfully all the time. Uh, hasn't been accepted in lots of places. And something to consider, uh, whether you're a truck driver or whether you're just a member of the general motoring public, is that a, a truck driver having the ability to maneuver in traffic in a way that one encourages their safety, but more importantly, encouraging the safety of those around them has to be of the utmost importance. And there may be times where a driver needs to duck out into the left lane because the the, the traffic flow in the right lane um, can be sporadic. There can be people merging. There's a lot of things that can happen in that right lane where if a driver could get out of the way and provide themselves a way out, my husband 
says that all the time. You always have to have a way out. You always have to have uh, the opportunity to remove yourself and your rig from a situation that could potentially be worse um, and not be limited by a law, potentially get a ticket just because you were trying to avoid an accident or give somebody the ability that they needed to be to be safe. But there, ha- there's a, obviously a uh, push and pull here between what the driver feels is safe to maybe be able to move over, uh, mm-hmm. but then the states that are getting a lot of uh, feedback and pushback from the general public thinking that, if these trucks are in the left lane or center lane or in my lane, then I'm going to be slowed down while I'm trying to rush to work. Right. And and we're here again, I think we're just not having the most educated conversation uh, with the general motoring public, the trucking industry, I mean, uh, because, again, there are reasons why trucks might need to be out in the left lane. It's not necessarily to speed down the road. It might be to speed up because they need to get around someone because if they had to break a load could shift or they could have to stop too quickly or something of that nature. But um, at the end of the day, again, I think we just need to be having more educated decisions about why trucks might need to utilize that left lane. And the left lane law, if you will, quote unquote, has been something that has come up um, cursory, but has come up in the conversations that our organization has had with the federal regulators. So it's something that is uh that's that's kind of on the federal regulators minds i can't say that i can't speak on their behalf by any means but it definitely is something that they've um, brought up in our conversations and it's something that that needs to be uh talked about but it needs to be a more collaborative conversation and not just one that happens within the confines of the trucking industry speaking with andrea marks the communications director for trucker nation about trucking industry issues as well as a uh, story that i wrote the other day about uh should trucks be uh regulated to only drive in the right lane or only during the nighttime hours. So how much do truckers, do you think, or do you have information or or any data, slow down a rush hour commute for regular drivers, or is that a total fallacy? You know, um, there's data out there. There is. Um, I don't want to say it's a total fallacy because, you know, trucks are just another, you know, they're they're a piece of the puzzle when it comes to commuting. Um, However, in large urban areas where you have some uh, touch and go traffic or stop and go traffic, it does take longer for a truck to uh, get up to speed and to slow down. So overall, there can be, and and this is data that I can certainly send to you uh, later, Jason. This is I don't have it on the top of my head right now, but I'll definitely you know send it to you. But they do contribute to traffic congestion. That there's no doubt about that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not the only um, they're not the only contributor to traffic congestion. And some of the congestion, the additional congestion that they might add, is simply due to the design of the vehicle. Um, but those d- v- vehicles are designed in a way to have things like air brakes or to be um, a certain length. One to contribute to the local um, and national economy, and two things like air brakes have been installed uh, to ensure that. Um, you know, they're, they're the safest vehicles that they could be both for the driver and the people around. So there's no doubt that they contribute to it, but it's, it's not as, um, as significant as the general motoring public might think. 
like um, the simple distractions that somebody might have sitting in a passenger vehicle and those couple seconds delayed to maybe um, continue in the traffic flow because maybe they were looking at their phone or please don't do that. Or maybe they were glancing down at the floorboard or looking over to the left or, or whatever the case may be. Those few seconds could be equivocated to the same few seconds that it might take for a truck to get up to speed um, because they you know, were at a, a dead stop or they were slower and it takes longer for those trucks to, again, get up to speed. So uh, the, the contribution is nominal when compared to the other delays that could occur by just folks, you know, the general motoring public. Or eating a sausage McMuffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or yeah. doing that, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to go through a couple of messages that were sent to me since this story came out. And, and I want you to feel free just to comment or not comment or, or, or just chuckle or whatever. If you want to comment on, on any of these, I, I would appreciate that. All right, here we go. All right, so here's here's number one. This is from Erica in Amarillo. I, I really did receive messages from all over, including one from Puerto Rico. Uh, Erica in Amarillo says, Stupid people trying to regulate trucking. If you dumbasses want your stuff, leave us alone to deliver it. If trucks are a problem on the road, so are four-wheelers. Does no one work anymore? You people are always on the road, on the phone, and in true working person's way. Remember, if you got it, a truck brought it. So I can agree with Erica that if you have it, a truck bought it, brought it. Um, (laughs) But what I would encourage Erica to uh, maybe broaden her her mind a little bit is that um, truck drivers aren't the the only true working people out there. Everyone uh, has a place to be. Everyone, you know, has a job that they need to get to. So we're all just spokes in a, in a wheel. And, um, you know, we all have a responsibility on the road, whether you're a truck driver or not. All right. I don't know where Michael Davis is from, but he writes, if a Karen doesn't show up in her car, nobody cares. If truck drivers don't show up, you have a bunch of naked, hungry grandmas running around because they couldn't get their food and clothes delivered. If people are in traffic, they're in traffic. They could take more local routes or something like that. Well, I think we all care about Karen. Yeah, I think we do, too. (laughs) Especially naked grandmas. We don't want naked grandmas and hungry grandmas out there, either. No, and there could be grandmas named Karen, so we need to be very concerned about Karen. Exactly, but you know, and and it, but they, he does make a point where uh, maybe if somebody doesn't want to fight through the rush hour traffic on the freeways, there are local routes that might take a few extra minutes, but would be probably uh, less populated by some of the larger trucks. Could be. Kelly Tackett from Cincinnati, Ohio, writes. As a driver, I prefer the overnight drive much for the same reasons four-wheelers wish we weren't out driving during rush hours. However, the drivers are on many stringent timelines to deliver. The ELDs run the schedules along with the companies we're trying to satisfy. There is a pickup scheduled, a delivery scheduled, along with fuel stops, 30-minute rest periods, and all kinds of other rules we must follow to keep the roads safe. Good luck fixing the overpopulated highways and byways of the U.S. So she brings up a good point. Um, the electronic logging device, but for those who might not uh, might not know what that is, an electronic logging device is a, a device that's plugged into a truck and is synchronized with the motor and automatically turns on when the truck starts moving. Therefore, that starts that clock for the day. That truck driver is unable to stop that clock, therefore encouraged to um, to be very aware of that clock based on 
load times, unload times, the requirement to take a 30 minute break, uh, traffic, all of those things. And, um, and those are stringent regulations and, and things that maybe those in the general motoring public don't know about. So allowing a driver, a professional driver, drivers out there are considered professional drivers, and uh, allowing that driver to have more control over their clock to maneuver and navigate these things like traffic or accidents or illness or maintenance issues without being penalized on their clock is um, of the utmost importance right now in the trucking industry. And we're working with federal regulators toward a, you know, a, a better solution for those types of things. So when you see a truck that's parked on the side of the road, maybe at night or on an entrance ramp, I know people get very frustrated about that. Sometimes if that driver is parked there, I can't say all the time, but sometimes if a driver is parked there, it's because they're literally out of hours. And if they move their truck, they can be found in violation of federal regulations. So they're forced with making a decision. Do I move my truck and violate federal regulations? Or do I sit right here and potentially be a, a hazard to anyone who passes me? That's a tough decision to make. And hours of service violations are no joke when it comes to the operating authority that a truck driver operates under. After a certain number of those or a systemic problem with hours of service violations, a driver can literally lose their ability to operate. So think about having to make that decision potentially every day on the road. Do I do what I have to do to get where I need to go and violate federal regulations? Or do I sit here and maintain my ability to have a business? That's, that's a large call that sometimes drivers have to make every day. And I think as you, as you so well explained, I, there's a lot of people, I think most people that aren't involved in or, or anywhere near the trucking industry have no idea that that even exists. We're speaking with Andrea Marks, the communications director for Trucker Nation about trucking and the trucking industry. I have a couple more uh, comments that were sent to me. Uh, so Jay Mendez, I don't know where uh, Jay writes from. He says, if you're stuck in congestion, stay behind a truck. Contradictory? No. They can see farther ahead and don't want to stop. If a truck is going 5 to 15 miles an hour, match their speed. You won't have to stop, and you'll probably get through faster. Uh, Maybe. But they don't want to stop. They have to stop if they have to stop. But, yeah, I would say uh, you could. You can do that. It's That's an, an interesting idea. And then you're also drafting, and you get maybe a little what? bit of wind resistance there. Uh, Bill Harvesters writes, here's an idea that will solve your hatred of trucks. Why don't we professional truck drivers simply stop coming to your state? Boycott Colorado. Those who don't want anything to stop for anything, fuel, food, parking. Your state is not a self-sustaining territory like California. It's just that simple. Keep up the foolishness, and you'll all get your wish. No more trucks. I think, Jason... Um, likes truck drivers. I do. And I certainly <laughs> hope that people don't boycott coming to Colorado. It's a great place. It is a great place, and I don't hate <laughs> truck drivers. And if people, unfortunately, what they see is typically just the headline of the story, and then they attribute that headline uh, to me and my feelings and what I do. And, and as, a, as a news guy, I, I just try to present the uh, pos positions of other people out there and, and let it be at that. Ah, uh, media. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. And finally, uh, Matt Cook writes, I'm a truck driver, and if you think Germany's laws about trucks are so good, maybe you should move over there. Maybe y'all start carpooling, take the bus, riding your friggin' bikes, or walking, instead of one person for one car, all going to the same place, thinking you're more important. 
Your place and your home and everything in them was brought to you by trucks at all hours of the day, so you'd have them on time. Just a thought. Germany's uh, weather isn't bad this time of year. Uh, Looking at the weather, actually, in Berlin, it's mostly sunny in 47. Not bad for December. Not bad. Not bad for December. I hope you don't move to Germany. I think you're doing a great job here in Colorado. And, you know, if you choose to ride a bike (laughs) or take the bus, that's great. But they also contribute to traffic congestion. Yeah, and what I I was mentioning about the German laws, one of the viewers asked me about uh, Germany and their restrictions. And during the summertime, basically, they restrict truck traffic on the weekends. It it would be like restricting all truck traffic on I-70 from Denver to the ski resorts because there's so many other people trying to use that as a a, – trying to get up to the ski resorts. And, And so these extreme peak times, not just everyday rush hour but extreme peak areas that's what mm-hmm. germany is trying to do by restricting certain days and certain times of year because in europe they they all have the summer off it right. seems like it's they, they all are on holiday in july and august and so that's when they're trying to reduce the truck traffic and so that's why their laws are like that yeah i it'll be interesting to see how that works out for you know germany or any other european country because um you know just because people want to get to places maybe because they're on holiday doesn't relegate the fact that there needs to be things there for them to enjoy their holiday so it'll be interesting to see you know how well that worked out probably need to keep our finger on the pulse there so how do drivers that are in the trucks really deal with this growing congestion that we're not only seeing here in Colorado but in Utah and in California and in Georgia and all the states really we're seeing a lot more congestion in all of these cities with a booming economy more uh, uh, businesses are are shipping things and there's more people working and there's going to be more people on the road so how do the average drivers deal with the increased congestion I'll tell you right now, and it's not an answer that anyone is going to want to hear. They're dealing with congestion just like the person next to them on the road because they are not incentivized to get off the road. With these inflexible hours, not having the ability to stop that clock, um, drivers just have to sit in the congestion just like everyone else, hoping for a let up somewhere. Um, we, We have a real disconnect in the trucking industry between truck drivers and companies with their customers. The customers order a product, need it picked up and delivered, and they don't care about what happens in the, in the interim. They don't care about that middle piece that occurs, the actual movement of the freight. They just want it at the time that they ordered it. And um, until we can start again, I know, I know you've heard me say this multiple times now, but until we can start having those collaborative conversations about, You know, when is the best time to be on the road? Can we adjust these times to ensure that, you know, we can get there the most efficiently, the most economically in some cases? Until we start having those conversations, you're just going to sit next to a truck in congestion because they're, they're suffering just like you are. Yeah, and it seems like also the trucking companies are suffering through some of the growing pains of this growing economy with increased cost of operating a truck and increased cost of labor and maintenance and fuel and all of those same issues that everybody's, yeah. All of that, all of that. You know, just driving on the road is is tough. You know, I know these these trucks look big and rugged, and they are, uh, but at the end of the day, they drive hundreds of thousands of miles a year and the maintenance costs we put we had fifty two thousand dollars worth of maintenance costs last year i mean granted we had to overhaul a motor 
but that's aside from the point. But, you know, just being out on the road, the wear and tear, the dragging around, you know, as much weight as these trucks are dragging around, it really is a lot. And, um, and the road infrastructure contributes to increased maintenance costs, increased fuel costs. Um, but at the end of the day, all of these are, are good problems to have because there is, you know, such an economy that um, provides demand for the freight to be moved. So maybe it's a good problem to have. But, uh, man, when I write those checks, that sure doesn't feel that way. I'll bet. I'll bet. And, and finally, it, it's. It, it, I, I received a lot of comments from folks uh, saying that it, it, this maybe I should go out there and try to be a truck driver for 10 minutes because it is a tough <laughs> job and it's not the easiest thing in the world. But then there's also the pushback about, well, my, my I could say that about my job. I could say that about Joseph's job. I could say that about your job. I mean, it, most yes. people, they everybody has such self-importance about what they do and where they're doing it. Um, yeah. I, I, I Obviously, truck driving isn't the hardest job in the world. It's not the easiest job in the world. But what's it like for those folks that are out there doing this every single day? And if it is so tough, why don't they go do something else? Well, that's interesting. So you're right. Truck Driving a truck is, is not the easiest job in the world. It's definitely not the hardest, but it's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. So um, customers, safety, regulations, uh, personal health, uh, having a family at home, but these are all things that everybody has to deal with. Um, so at the end of the day, driving a truck is tough. It really is. And if for whatever reason, maybe you or your producer does want to see what it's like to be, you know, in a truck. I've, I've, we've got a few of them. You're more than welcome to come up here to Greeley and see what it's like to haul some livestock around. We can sure make that happen, uh, which is a whole nother aspect. You know, we live in a very agricultural state. I live in Weld County, one of the largest counties in the United States. It's very agricultural based. So, um, you know, we we do a a little bit different when it comes to trucking in the agriculture industry. But again, that aside, um, it's a tough job. And there's a lot of pride that comes with being a truck driver. There is not to say that there's not pride in doing other jobs, but truck drivers are very proud of what they do. I know we're extremely proud of what we do. Again, being small business owners that literally built our company from nothing. So, uh, you know, we we're we are proud of what we do. We are proud of how we contribute both to the local state and national economy. And in some cases, the export, you know, the global economy. Um, And there are there there are those uh, folks that say, well, if you don't like it or if it's so hard, then just go do something else. You could. But everybody could do that. So, you know, I I think we're dealing more with um, with kind of a, a generation or a a time in our world right now where everyone is proud and they just want to feel important and appreciated. So maybe the next time you see a truck driver, tell them that you appreciate what they do. Tell them they're doing a good job and don't just be the guy that's like, man, you're in my way and you slowed me down by three minutes. He's somebody too. She's somebody too. They've all got a place to be and a customer to service. So, um, you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot of truck drivers that want to go do something else. I think they just want the ability to do their jobs well. And maybe buy him a snack if you see him at the next, uh, what, TA Travel Center. Hey, you can certainly <laughs> do that. You can certainly Perfect. do that. Have a conversation with a truck driver. They're pretty interesting folks. And I think most of them, as I as I learned when I was early reporter, if you go show up at a, at a truck stop and you're looking for, we call it MOS, uh, man-on-the-street interviews, usually that they're hanging out at a truck stop and they like to talk. 
uh, because they don't get a lot of that interaction with uh, with other people all the time. So they're apt to uh, talk to uh, you and, and give you some good comments. That's absolutely true. My husband stays away from the house sometimes six to eight weeks at a time. Um, and the only interaction that we usually have is phone or FaceTime or something like that. And he'd love to talk to other people. You know, you sit in those trucks pretty solitary for long, long, long stretches of time. So sometimes just, uh, you know, reach out to a truck driver, say hi. Um, I'm sure they'll have a story for you. And there might be an opportunity for you to, you know, make a new friend. There you go. Andrea Marks, sure. thank you so much. The Communications Director for Trucker Nation. Appreciate your time very much here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I appreciate the opportunity and look forward to uh, any other of these opportunities in the future. Definitely. Andrea, thank you so much. Yeah, have a good day. Okay, there she goes. That's uh, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea, for uh, from Trucker Nation for being here on the show. I'm sure I'm going to get more hate mail as this story circulates in the trucking industry, because uh, Andrea was promoting that she was going to be on the podcast on Twitter already and, and, and promoting it out there. So hopefully uh, people will listen to the interview and understand that I don't hate truck drivers or, or trucks and that uh, you can stop sending me the hate mail. Or not. <laughs> if you would stop talking about things that so angered the trucking community, you would stop getting the hate mail. I, I didn't ask the questions. I didn't, you know, and, but, but, you know, my, my comment about people being so self-important in their job, it reminds me of our, our, our former building maintenance person. Everybody in their job thinks that if they, if they don't do that job, then the whole system of, of your workplace will, will collapse. And that's exactly how he operated. He thought that if he wasn't here running the building maintenance, that our building would literally collapse into a pile of rubble. It's not the case. He's been gone for months, and it still operates just fine. Everybody thinks that they doing their job, whether they're working at Eddie Bauer or McDonald's or here or anywhere, that they are the most important cog in that whole operation. Guess what, people? The world will continue. The sun will come up tomorrow, Annie, and we will all get on with our day. Yes. Stop being delusional. There are certain people who run corporations. Steve Jobs was a pretty important part of Apple. He's now gone. And Apple continues on. Maybe not as great, but it's still continuing on, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same with all of us. What's changed? It's a, it's a team of people working together. I think if I, I think if I I, I left, a, they, there might be a, a hole to fill. Sure, but it will be filled, and all and the station will continue. No, we're all replaceable. Of course we if, are. If, you're, if you don't think you're replaceable, you're delusion, deluding yourself. <sighs> That's all I'm saying, people. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, anyway, if you have a comment and you want to send us some hate mail, why don't you just? Do it voicemail style. 303-832-0217. 303-832-0217. Leave your message there. And I cleared out the mailbox from uh, earlier messages, so it is wide open. The mailbox is not full. So please leave your messages. Yep, fill it up. Uh, thanks again for being here. Thanks again for, of course, always supporting the show. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.